from Portland, Oregon, welcome to the Synergy Autism Podcast, a place where you'll hear from professionals, parents, and people diagnosed with autism in a manner that guides you to a better understanding of this sometimes mysterious and perplexing difference. Each child and each family is unique. Let's all listen and learn from one another. Let's understand autism together. Here's your host, Barbara Avila. So welcome to Synergy Autism Podcast, where we have relaxed conversation about important topics in autism. And we are so happy to have Diane Solomon here to share a little today about herself, her son, and her perspective as a parent and a mental health professional. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I would love to hear and you share with the audience of kind of tell us about yourself. Well, I am a mother of four. My children are 24, 21, 12, and 9. <laughs> and uh, there are so many of them that sometimes it's hard to remember how old they are or what their birthdays are. Sure. And I am also, well, I started out as a certified nurse midwife delivering babies uh, in the hospital. And then about 12, 13 years ago, I became a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And I have a private practice in town where I help people with psychotherapy and medication management. Uh, Especially mothers, right? Well, I work a lot with mothers through my... Through being a nurse midwife, I certainly have a lot of patients who are pregnant or postpartum that I help, Mm -hmm. but my practice is basically a general adult practice, and I am also getting a PhD at OHSU. Wow, so you have a lot of experience in families in general. Yes. From both sides of the family. Yes, inside and out. Yeah, wow. So um, tell us about your son with autism. He was born in 2005. I can't remember his birth date. (laughs) So he's he's your youngest. Yes, he is my youngest. And uh, it was quickly evident that he wasn't quite meeting his milestones. He was not smiling quite as soon as my other children and He certainly wasn't as social, and I began to worry about him. So that sounds like you had suspicions pretty early on. I did. I did. And uh, for a while, however, I told myself that I had worried so much about each child when Mm. they were born, Mm -hmm. and they had all turned out fine. Mm -hmm. And I just was not going to worry about him. And so I basically put aside those concerns Mm -hmm. probably until the certain maybe nine months. By a year, I really started to notice that, you know, he was not as interactive. His speech was not developing at all. Um... And there was something very concerning to me. 
So what were the first things that you did? Well, then, when you decided, okay, I am going to kind of move ahead with figuring this out. Well, it was difficult because at the time I was married to a man who did not want to uh, see that there could be anything wrong, which is a really normal parental uh, reaction. And so I mostly kept my concerns to myself and started reading and asking people, do you think he's autistic? And there were certain aspects of him that are still very much uh, part of who he is that did not fit under the ideas I had about autism. For instance, He is very, very affectionate, Mm -hmm. loves physical touch, Mm -hmm. uh, was very much comforted by that. And I remember I nursed him until he was two years old and many times he would just nurse and stare into my eyes Mm -hmm. and I would tell myself, well, he must be okay. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, towards the end of his second year I took him to a speech uh, pathologist who made it clear although she wasn't supposed to diagnose that she had some real concerns Mm -hmm. that he was on the spectrum Hmm. and then so then what did you do after that well she couldn't actually diagnose him and after that my husband continued to sort of fight the battle that he was just different and that was okay and finally somehow um, we got early intervention to come and uh, two women came to the house and did an intake and my husband was there and after that it was pretty obvious that there was a real problem. Hmm. Okay. Were they able, was early intervention able to help in those early days, did you feel like? Uh yes, they offered they did the initial intake and they did basically diagnose him as on the spectrum so that we could get services and they would come out every couple weeks and talk about ways we could work with him. So it sounds like you had, um, well here in Oregon we have two different types of, we have an eligibility for early intervention or early childhood and education and then we also have the medical diagnosis. So it sounds like early on you um, he had the educational diagnosis, but not yet medical. Have you ever pursued the medical? Um, the pediatrician obviously knows he's mm-hmm. on the spectrum, and I'm sure all the chart notes talk about him being on the spectrum. Um, but we never went through a comprehensive medical eval. So that's, that's just interesting, because I know you're in the medical field. So it's interesting to me that what I have a lot of families that I meet who they feel like they really have to get a medical diagnosis to then be able to get service. So, um, what made it, or kind of what was your thinking around that? Of, of well, it was pretty clear to me. Um, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner. If one of my family members 
uh, has a cold, I can pretty much discern whether they need medical care or not. And it was the same with this. It was clear he was on the spectrum. We were able to get the services we needed when we would take him for his well child checks at the pediatrician. The pediatrician, you know, totally uh, agreed that Mm -hmm. he was on the spectrum. So it just seemed sort of unnecessary and that it would put him through a lot. And when we did need to do something to get services, for instance, recently we had to um, take him for an IQ test. Yeah. That was fine, and that was one simple test versus a complete right. eval. Now, that was to access county services, is that right, or no? Uh, state. State. Medicaid. Okay. Oh, K-Plan. Okay. Okay. I want to ask you, kind of go a little bit of a different direction for a second, and um, having three older children, you talked about the fact that early on it, it kind of... Um, I hear that a lot with families who have uh, threes and fours, where the last child is like, oh, we're not going to worry about them quite as much, right? So has that kind of continued through, or has that, how how has having three older kids affected how you make decisions for him? That's a really interesting question, and um, I'd have to go back to how I felt when he was diagnosed. Uh And it was horrible. I was grieving and uh, I was depressed and I was so incredibly worried about what was going to happen to him and I couldn't really um, conceive of what was going to happen to our lives. It seemed that everything we had planned sort of flew out the window. Would I ever have a retirement? Would he be living with me forever? You know, and at that point, having a child live with me forever was Mm. like the worst case scenario. Whereas over the years, the idea of him living with us uh, seems like a pleasure. It will be more about his need to move on and Mm -hmm. out of the house. But at that time, it was just uh, what I would call, in psychiatry speak, it was really the idea of the loss of the normal child. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took a while to get through that. Where do you feel like that kind of impression came from? I'm always curious about, you know, autism is a spectrum, and now we know that so much more than probably that was out there when Evan was little. Where do you think that came from? Was that from your medical background of knowing what autism was and thinking it was, you know, this really um, severely debil- debilitating lifelong disorder, et cetera, and, that, and not giving you a sense of the spectrum, or where did that Well, that's from? interesting. That's definitely true. I knew it was called a spectrum, but I kept going back to Psych 101 in college where they showed, you know, a picture of a boy banging his head Mm -hmm. against a wall in a room where I'm sure he was probably institutionalized. And if I was institutionalized, I'd be banging my head against the wall too. Mm, So, yeah. That'll be a whole other conversation. Yes. (laughs) And, um... 
so it really took me a while and the fact that he was nonverbal and is still you know although he speaks a lot his language is certainly not fluent um that seemed like a very big thing to me how was he going to deal with the world if he couldn't speak mm-hmm. and uh it just and until recently um you know no one told me that the life course of autism spectrum disorders if we still do call them that Mm -hmm. is for them to get better and improve Mm -hmm. and so I didn't know if he was going to get worse you know whether it was normal to make process doing nothing or progress doing nothing Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. what would happen how did you um, decide what directions to go with Eden and he was Fairly nonverbal, although he was used some echolalic language, right? And he definitely made his needs known. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of hand guiding, and he's very expressive. And that is an advantage to being a mother of several other children. You sort of... Yeah. They don't need to work very hard to... You can read their body yes. language and their needs. Yeah. 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 So how did you decide, like... So you started with early intervention, and then how did you decide? There's, I guess, um, another way to ask the question is: I know there's a lot of controversy, and it would be really tough as a parent to make a decision as to which direction to go from traditional ABA to more developmental approaches to medication to kind of how did you meet that? You know, what was that controversy like, or was it controversial for you and tough? Yeah, I think I've probably decided for and against all of those things at Mm -hmm. some different point in time. Early on, uh, it was my husband who investigated the more prevalent therapies that the original speech pathologist had told us were Mm -hmm. available. Mm -hmm. And we liked the relationship development intervention because it seemed obvious that the most important thing to anyone anywhere on the planet is relationships Mm -hmm. so uh, we did that for quite a while and uh, then when my husband and I were divorcing Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to be um, basically the primary and only provider for my son it was time to think about school for him and he probably had been kept out of school for too long and uh, well you suggested the the school that we chose which is an ABA school but especially uh, as the children progress really focuses on social cognition and theory of mind and relationships um so i put him in an aba school even though aba was originally something that i didn't know as much about as i do now but um and didn't have a very good idea about it was clear to me that at that time he needed to be in a school Mm -hmm. with uh, very carefully structured behavioral supports 
and peer engagement and mm-hmm. social interaction. I was mm-hmm. not as worried about academics for him. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because he's pretty gifted academically. He taught himself to read by the time he was six uh, by reading subtitles on videos. Mm-hmm. And he knows about math and he likes to read. Uh, I really trust all those things will come. It's interesting. Um, I think I'm similar with him about that as I have been with my other kids who all do pretty well academically and mm-hmm. to me I don't want to drive them too hard academically hard enough but it's more important that they are developing relationship skills mm-hmm. and are emotionally intelligent and uh, know how to be good citizens of the world. So I'd love to actually hear more about that. Like, what are the, you know, we, I kind of started this out of asking kind of what are the differences and kind of about, but what are the, what are the similarities? So focusing on relationships was similar in raising all four of your children, but what else? Anything else of that? Well, you know, the thing that I want to say about my son on the spectrum is that I think as a parent and as a nurse midwife, I've always seen this even before children are born, parents have this idea of their perfect child, who their child is going to be, mm-hmm. and that that child is going to grow up and do certain things and be certain things and go to college or what have you and leave the house and make it in the world. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that is pretty much a total and utter illusion that we have. We have no idea what any of our children are going to be. Um, The neurotypical children totally as much as the kids on the spectrum. And one thing my youngest son did at a pretty early age is just burst that illusion forever. And that was really a great gift. Hmm. to uh, realize that I needed to be or I wanted to be much more open to whatever path my children took, any of them. Um, Obviously, I want them to be good people and do good things, but uh, it doesn't need to match up with my ideal image at all. Hmm. Okay, maybe a little bit, but... (laughs) (laughs) that's cool I hadn't really thought about that that how much that would teach a parent to do that for all their children because it kind of makes you really look at that square in the face yeah early on earlier than it would if your child was a teenager and doing something that they weren't supposed to be doing right having to shake it up then which of course all my children have you know become teens or are becoming teens and doing things they're not supposed to do and um but yeah there's we have no idea how they'll turn out um and that's really refreshing in a certain way and Mm -hmm. mind-opening yeah Hmm. 
So I have another um, direction that I want to ask you on is medications. So I get a lot of questions about um, when to try a medication, what types of medication to use, will it help? Um, I have a lot of families who try medications and then they um, don't work right away or that they, um, it's just a very frustrating process for a lot of families. and. A lot of families who really don't want to go that direction and they feel like they're being pushed in that direction sometimes by um, medical professionals and so just really feeling um, uh, challenged conflicted. and conflicted for sure. I love to talk about medication and first I have to say that as a nurse midwife practicing years ago in rural settings uh, I was in a family practice clinic where I was doing a lot of women's health care exams and a lot of the women would come in uh, talking about being put on antidepressants by their family providers who were in the same clinic as I was. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I really had a judgment about that. And then woman after woman after woman after woman after woman would talk to me about how much medication had changed her life oh. and how it had changed her life and why it had changed her life and how when she found the right medication, which is a very critical element, she didn't feel like a zombie or flat or anything of the sort. She felt like herself on a good day almost mm. every day. So you were somebody coming from that kind of anti stigma. Point yes. At first. I didn't really Absolutely that. with a stigma and um, those women really taught me to completely change my opinion to the degree that after a while I realized what am I doing doing all these pap smears all day long mm -hmm. you know at the end of the day I would have a bowl under the sink full of speculums and I was thinking to myself well, what am I doing with my life <laughs> and really what I enjoyed was talking to these women about mm -hmm. where they were and where they wanted to go and how they could get there and so I went back to school to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner and really learn about medications in a scientific way mm -hmm. and how they could be used for good. And of course, they're not always used for good. Mm -hmm. But uh, in my practice, I have such a commitment to finding the right medication. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the conventional wisdom is it sometimes takes a year to find one right medication. Now, I'm way too impatient to uh, wait that long with my patients, and we have genetic testing now even that can help us choose oh, wow. medications much more accurately, which has really uh, been life-changing for a lot of people. So that's where I came from in terms of medications and I've always been a strong believer that they are one of the tools we can use mm -hmm. and all that medications do is allow a person the resiliency and the uh, mind space I think of it as to choose how they're going to behave 
-hmm. it gives them a little pause where they can say I think I'm going to think about that before I react in the way I've always reacted and uh, you know I've continued to see it just change lives and save relationships and really help people become the people and live the lives they want to live. So for my own son, when his behavior was getting in the way, uh, which really happened when he was about eight Mm -hmm. or eight and a half, he was waking up and then he was not sleeping. And then he would go to school and be aggressive. That's a very common story, yeah. Um, Which I understood and I knew it was really typical, but I certainly wasn't afraid of medications. Mm -hmm. And I had the incredible good fortune to know the provider in town who I think is the best child provider there is. And I had worked with her, and she uh, devotes a huge part of her practice to kids on the spectrum. And I knew how brilliant she was and that she would collaborate with me. Mm -hmm. So I took him in, and uh, it, you know, the medication is not perfect, and every time i go in or recently i heard a couple lectures scientific lectures about pharmacology for kids on the spectrum you know it gives me some thoughts well we can fine-tune this or that or the other but uh he's sleeping better his aggressive behavior is severely decreased he's very happy Mm -hmm. he's speaking a lot more Mm -hmm. because he is sleeping better and can think better and so speaking exclusively about kids on the spectrum there are uh, no medications that quote-unquote treat autism right so what we're doing is treating symptoms Mm -hmm. so something I'll give the example of clonidine which we were talking about Mm -hmm. before that can sort of treat impulsivity mm-hmm. but it can't necessarily treat kids perseverating mm-hmm. uh, there are other medications sometimes antipsychotics that can mm-hmm. help kids stop perseverating and stop being so obsessive compulsive antidepressants are used for anxiety as well as depression Uh, And there's some medications that are used sometimes in autism that um, are used, for instance, in cognitive impairment because the thought is that they might get someone to have more flexible thinking or Mm -hmm. be less rigid. Mm -hmm. So it's easy easy to see how you can accrue several different Mm -hmm. medications looking at uh, several different symptoms. Mm -hmm. However, at the same time, uh, my biggest thing is that kids and their parents need to be really empowered consumers Mm -hmm. and always ask, now what is this one being used Mm -hmm. for again and why are we doing that one and we left that one on when we tried this new one and the new one's working can we Mm -hmm. take away the old one Mm -hmm. 
Um, so empowering parents to really ask questions yes. and not just kind of go, okay, okay. Another one. To, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, and fine tune it. I mean, nobody wants to see their child's personality go away right. yeah. or be blunted. Sometimes a little of that is necessary to combat a really um, aggressive or some kind of behavior that is really getting in the way or is in dangerous is dangerous there is a time and a place for those kinds of medications but medications again they're just a tool they're just an adjunct and hopefully they can help give that child a little more flexibility so that all the behavioral supports and the other tools that you're use, using can really take better effect. You've been listening to the Synergy Autism Podcast with Barbara Avila. For more information about this program, please visit our website, synergyautismcenter.com.